G'day Swellians, Deadly here. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, live from Gosford Leagues on the New South Wales Central Coast. What a core lord working class backwater this little stretch is that has produced unbelievable surfing talent for decade upon decade. None finer than the Borneo freak show himself, Ross Clark Jones, Jughead Allport, Bryce Ellis, Mark Sanger Sainsbury, Shane Powell, list goes on and on. And today we have a very special panel put together, including the surgeon psychopath, the Dexter of the World Tour, Adrian Ace Bucken, New Minor Bunnies 5'8", and all-time classic leprechaun, Glenn Micro Hall. And of course, the Evoker Jesus. Faulty knees all bow to the mighty Gosford Grove. This show was a rather strange one. It was right on the cusp of the first COVID lockdown, recording back in March, uh, the day after the Sydney Surf Pro, the final uh, professional event before the Woozle cancelled everything for the year. And uh, it was pretty tense, the atmosphere, when we uh, decided to do this one because nobody really knew just what we were in for. I mean, everyone was starting to get a pretty panicky You couldn't buy a roll of poo tickets anywhere on the Australian East Coast. And there was dead set people walking around like they had an invisible 44-gallon drum strapped between their legs. They had that much smearage happening. The COVID noise was real. Now, we weren't sure whether we were doing the right thing by even calling this event on. So uh, it was a tricky one. And uh, you could feel it in the room. Uh, We were in a giant conference centre. It was quite hollow. So there's a fair bit of echo throughout this ep. But uh, the boys produced. Ace was as even and as calm as you would expect a complete psychopath to be. Micro, he brought the goodness. He brought that Irish luck. And unfortunately, we left Wade a little bit late. He had a skinful. He got a few good lines out, but uh, we'll get him back on at a later date. The real winner on the day, of course, the Swellians. Good to see them turn out in force for one last hurrah before the fist of the pando came down. Now, before we get into this episode, we've got a special treat. Uh, ain't that swell favourite? Creed, Credence McTaggart, sitting down with Smivy to talk about the new Billabong clip drop, Life's Better in Board Shorts, an absolute banger from the creative powerhouse that is Toby Cregan and Credo as well. Well done, an absolute mind-boggling clip. Go check it out if you haven't already. Summer vibes, it does not get better. Credo, welcome. Yeah. Yes, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm That's good. good. Uh, how's good. the pano going? The pano's good. It. Um... How's that filthy pig of a money pit going, mate? Oh, how much? How many thousands of dollars you spent on it this year? Oh, mate, I've spent probably about three grand on the piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Um, but it's going. It's going, and it's. Uh, it's you know it's a constant. Um, it's a constant struggle, isn't it? It's a constant struggle. But then you have the moments where, you know, that you can't even put a price on, you know. Yeah. When you're driving down the highway and the wind's in your ears and you listen to a bit of Dead Moon and you're just fucking in the pano, just happy as can be, <laughs> mate. It's, for me, that's like, that's like, that's meditation. That's yeah, mm. yeah. I love that. That's classic. Yeah, I think I'm about... Um, Oh, what? This year's been an expensive year for the Peno, for the money pit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been one of the worst years on record in the, the five years I've had it. I think it's uh, probably, yeah, would be around the three grand mark. I was yeah. doing the maths on it 
in the five years I had it probably like got it for five K, probably spent about fucking between five and seven on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm. But it's look yours is good. You look like you have minimal rust on the yeah. on the outside. Well I got least. it out in Dubbo. Like my all my family's from central New South Wales. So my pop, yeah. pop found a, a pretty rust free one. Fuck yeah. Made the mission out there, got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's mental. Got off a couple of like bikey looking cats out there and uh I'll never forget it. The dad was like uh he goes, you know, you got uh, all all uh, underneath the car. We've kind of gutted that out. So that's where you put your, your ice and your marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> and my granddad's like this teetotaling Catholic. Like yeah. never touched a drop of piss in his life. Yeah. And he could <laughs> But he be- knew what it was for. Oh, he couldn't believe it. He was like telling a story at like, Christmas dinner and shit. It was, he was cracking up. That's what? where you put your ice and your marijuana. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I first bought the panel, I bought it. My dad actually kind of uh, looked at it because I was in I was in the Canary Islands and wow. I was just looking up on Gumtree for months and months and you're in the Canary like, Islands and then you got a canary yellow panel van. Yeah how yeah it's cosmic. Quite ironic hey I, I so he picked it up for two grand off this guy in Nana. That's a bargain. Yeah Fuck, that's a bargain. And then man. I didn't see it for like four months or something because I was traveling and then I came home and and then I got there and like when dad saw it he's like mate you can't go wrong. And I was like, oh, perfect then. And I was like, all right, well, yeah, let's, I'll, you know, wire you the money and, and let's get it. And then I saw it and the whole back of it was just all blacked out. Like all the windows had been blacked out and he'd put like a center divider in the middle so you couldn't get in through the front to the back. Oh, really? And there was this crazy like fluoro blue light that circles around the back of the cabin, which is still in there. And then there was all these chains, <laughs> chains hanging down from the roof, and uh, these two cameras set up in the back. Whoa, sounds a bit Wolf Creaky. Yeah, so I don't know if he was making some real kinky sex movies or something in there. So, jeez Louise. So I stripped it all back, and like, it doesn't look as fucking rapey anymore. So it's mm, kind of good, mm. but um, yeah. And then I put a little bet in and stuff. But I got it for about two grand. I reckon I've probably spent about eight grand on it all up. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. All comes out in the wash. I think we're even, Stevens. Yeah. Uh, but, mate, I got you in here to talk about Billy's new uh, clip. What is it? Life is better in board shorts? I think. Is that the one? I don't know if it's called that, but that's their slogan, yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty mental clip. It's cool, yeah. yeah. For for something that, like, I think, um, you know, Bill Wong wanted to put something out towards the end of the year of the, you know, the whole kind of Australia team and... Everyone was kind of off doing their own thing. It's like, like we're all ride for Billabong, but it's not like I go call up Parko and go have a coffee and surf with mm. him or anything. So everyone's all doing their doing their shit. But um, yeah, so they end up just like we did a couple little road trips here and there with the lads, but didn't score crazy waves. But um, when it's all sliced up together, it looks like you know it's been a pretty amazing winter in mm. the east coast of australia you know? mm. yeah you got a couple of go go gadget cones in there a couple cat yeah a couple real nice cones, green yeah. translucent yeah dreamy kind of north coast gold coast yeah well the cones. hard thing was too is like i mean everyone had heaps of footage but they just wanted to put it you know strictly board shorts mm. so um so there's heaps of stuff that didn't make it in there but um it still came out real good and you know uh, I I don't I don't really I've never really spent this much time like all up on the east coast. I'm normally kind of travelling a little bit, or I go to back to West Oz quite a bit, mm. which is you know 
um, I've actually really enjoyed it, just kind of cruising around here and sort of getting to know the waves a bit better throughout the winter. And mm. I know we've been pretty lucky for waves. So mm. it's pretty good. Yeah, it was a good winter to be stuck on the East Coast. It was cooking. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, mm. it's kind of bullshit, eh? Like, I mean, it's yeah, still kind of cooking off. too, like mm. somehow. I don't know what the fuck's going on. El Nina or some shit Yeah, like La Nina, yes. La Nina, right, La Nina. Yeah. Um, don't even know what that means, but it sounds cool. And what are your highlights? Haven't seen the clip. Like, what are your favourite bits in it? Um, the highlights of the Billabong clip. Um, uh, well, Harley... Uh, and Dakota. Yeah, the like Walters. The Walter boys. They're fucking Son of shredding. Jeremy Walters. Old Legendary school Aussie, Jeremy. US call Lord Yamba. Yeah. Based Yamba. They're um, grown. always like surprising me every time I see them. They're always fucking getting better and better and and, uh, and it's really, really cool to see. But uh, yeah, they're ripping and then who else we got in there? Glindo. Jai Glinderman. Yeah. Fuck, Glindo's been ripping. I've actually been surfing with him quite a bit, which has been cool. Um, I've seen him like surf around the traps over the years, um, but never really like met him and stuff. And then we've done a couple of little trips together and, and we hang out a little bit now. So it's kind of sick. He's a cool kid and he's got a crazy style. Yeah, and like talk such to us a, about his approach. Just such a mature way of... of Surfing a wave at mm. such a young age that you like, I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, mm. uh, it's yeah, it's actually pretty mind blowing. He's um, he's got you know, really iconic uh, rail game already, which is something that I think, in my experience, took a long time to learn, you know. Mm. So it's really cool to see him do that. And and he's on top of that, he's just a fucking really cool kid, he's mm. real humble and just you know, just. He's real keen to surf and just have a good time and he doesn't judge people and he's just, you know, he's just having a good one. It's sick. Mental. On your Glindo. Yeah, Glindo. It's, uh, yeah, it's something the North Coast guys kind of have the mortgage on, don't they? Just like that real clinical, classical rail game. Yeah. Uh, they kind of set the, the world standard for it, really, have done for, for decades. I think so. Eh? I think like when Parco and um, Fanning were in their early 20s and stuff, um, me personally, that's kind of my favourite era of the, them two surfing, mm. like when Parker was on the Dahlbergs mm. and um, and he was just shredding the shit out of it and, yeah, he was all skinny and lanky back then too. <laughs> it looked real cool and, uh, yeah. Before but, he opened up a brewery and started getting yeah, high on his own supply. Before he fucking blew out. That's <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> nah, his rig's looking good, good on him. But um yeah, no, it's 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 definitely like a yeah, like Dingo and Rasta, fucking you know, so many good fucking shroupers that just got that carved down, you know. Mm. And now you being up here, have you noticed your style uh and approach starting to shift as a result of being on these kind of long Stretched out walls? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. I think, like, I've I've been living on the East Coast for, like, like nearly eight years or so now and um, took me a while to figure out, like, kind of what boards I uh, enjoyed surfing, these sort of long point break kind of waves, I guess. Um, and I tried a few different shapers and, you know, mixed it up a little bit. But I've been just... Stuck on the uh, Rod Dahlbergs for about a year now. Yeah, Rodney. Shout out to yeah, Rodney. Yeah, big boy Rod. He's he's the man. He um he's got so much knowledge about shaping and surfing, and and he's you know super honest about it. You know, and 
not biased at all. It's really cool. And he, uh, he's, you know, the boards that he's shaped me, it's kind of like always been that kind of idea in my head of what a perfect surfboard is. And then mm. when you just even see like the outline of a Dahlberg, you're just like, fuck me, that's good. Like, <laughs> cool. So yeah. fine, man. Like fuck. real crispy. And they just feel how they look, you know, like they just don't. Yeah, they just don't bog. They're just holding the smoothest lines ever. Whoa. It's fucking amazing. It's kind of like the Pano, really. Mm. But, you know. Oh, I love that. Uh, I love that comparison. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But uh, I guess the beauty of the Dahlbergs is that you can get about five of them for the amount of money you spend on a Pano in a year. Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been paying for my Dahlbergs, so that's good. And I'm, it makes – I've always liked to look after my surfboards. Like mm. I never – I always sort of – I've never had like heaps of surfboards. I'll get like a quiver of like 20 new fucking boards or whatever. I just kind of stick to my favourite two or three and just Sick. try to keep them for as long as possible, you know. Fuck, that's very pure. I like that. That's classy. Yeah. And uh, I guess my highlights, fuck, man, Buddha, uh, Buddha and oh, the boys shit. scoring monstro cones in Indo. Yeah, dude, I fully even forgot about that. Yeah, those. What is, doing? Um, is it Kalani? No. Kian, I think he's Kian, name is. yeah, sorry, yeah, Kian. Uh, fucking, he was charging. He's been yeah. charging, eh? And yeah, Buddha was getting so coned at that Misto wave. I don't know where the fuck that is, but. Might have to pick his brains about that one. Yeah, fucking stand tall. Six to eight foot cones. Looks like Pedang in reverse. It does look like Pedang, yeah. Reverse Pedang. And a little bit of Northy P in maybe too. Mm. But you never know. And uh, even some old archival footage of Jack Freestone in there, I mean, which is pretty wild. Because the last I heard he was lost in Kauai with his head wedged in a Brazilian man's armpit at the local jiu-jitsu dojo. <laughs> been, uh, stranded over in the, yeah, the islands, brah, for a while. He's been rolling the, around with the boys. The uh, I think, yeah, I think he's, he's still over there. I don't know. I have no idea, eh? I, I don't. I haven't really spoken to him in a while. Since he became a, a dad, he's, you know, very busy with all... Mm. All this stuff, and, and uh, which is good, good to see. Um, but yeah, he was ripping in it. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Some, yeah, real classic freestone. And uh, I think maybe just something. Yeah, it's pretty strange. Uh, yeah, Collar Pinto, too. Fuck, he gets a monstro cone. It's, I thought that mm. it looked like, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe I have to bleep that, but yeah, it looked like Backdoor. It was such a huge. Yeah. Maybe it was, I don't know. But uh, yeah, just a crazy TP. Fuck, man. What do you yeah. make of uh, Griff's? Surfing, he's one of the three CT guys on the Billabong books at the moment. Yep, one of the three on tour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know. Um, to be honest, I haven't really seen much of his surfing mm. in the last few years. Um, I used to – we did a couple of trips together. I remember I did a trip with him years ago and he was like – I think he was probably like 16 or something and we did a boat trip. With like the Coffin Brothers and I think Dylan Perillo and Brennan Gibbons and stuff, and we got like really fucking pumping waves. Like it was like six to eight foot HTs, kind of just doing its full proper mm. thing. And he was charging. Like it yeah. was really sick to see like him have a real crazy go as the you know young little Californian kid. Mm. And his dad's super cool. Like I've I've copped his dad a bit in Hawaii. Um, and he's, yeah, he's just, he's a bit of a larrikin, eh? he's a pretty funny dude and, uh, super nice, nice family. But yeah, I, to be honest, man, I haven't really seen much of his surfing, mm. um, just cause I live in a fucking hole. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Blue lit black window panel. Mm-hmm. Mm. Love it. 
<laughs> and uh, I mean, I guess the other two big names, apart from the, the obvious one, Italo's, uh, we got Callanan and oh yeah, and shit. Ewing. Yeah. Callanan was absolutely shredding. I mean, he's always shredding though. Like I always feel like, um, like to be honest, I think Ryan's probably my favourite surfer on the whole team. Mantle because he's just fucking so solid. The last he's just got, yeah, he's just got like real nice flow and. He um and he's explosive and he charges. He's just kind of the fucking full complete package guy. Mm-hmm. But then also that last fucking wave that Parko gets it. I think it's Snapper. Yeah, that's psycho, isn't it? Looks that's probably the biggest wave I think ever. Psycho, at Snapper man. for yeah. sure. It's like reminiscent of Backdoor. That thing's yeah, mega like a sketchy too. Like bit yeah. like bit, bit of a weird kind of shape. Not really perfect, but yeah. fucking yeah. so through. Yeah, that was really fucking really cool. The gluttonous tube pig himself with his snout in the trough. Was he riding like a little single fin there somewhere? I don't know. Was he? See, he was whacking it on a single fin, I think, for on a, a one or two clips. Yeah, okay. Maybe at Cura or something. Oh, he was getting psycho pits at Cura. I mean, he's the the mayor of that joint. No one. Yeah, he can it better. catch a wave. What out about Oki, man? How's oh, yeah, Ock oh, belts the shit out of that left. Oh, no, wait, sorry. Where was he? A snapper. Yeah, yeah, on the backside. And then that fucking sick layback tube that he gets. That's so sick, that little hand drive. It's iconic. Like, no one's surfing like that anymore. I've um I've just been speaking to Dion because um, we're doing, like, a new – a Pocky film that's going to come out Fuck, I love the Pocky films, man. They're mental. Yeah, Listen now, Mr. Dawn was bullshit. What was the, the one after? Was there one after that? Oh, uh, there's, there's like, there was like three before it called, um, or two before it maybe called Beauty Pockets. Yeah. Beauty Pockets one and two. And then we did the um, Misty Dawn one. And then this new one's going to come out. I don't even know when it's going to come out. Probably not for a little bit. But um, there's some crazy Oki footage no, in what? that. Yeah. Some real insane. Give us a give us a shit. teaser. What do we? What can we expect? All right. So this is pretty crazy. I don't even know if I should be telling you guys this, but this is pretty nuts. What a scoop! So Jack McCoy has given the lads free reign. Is that what you say? Free yeah. Reign? Over his whole archive. All his yeah, his whole yeah. archive. And so Fuck. there's all this like unseen fucking Oki footage wow. from like J Bay bells like hockey no. lefts and shit and it's no way i saw a little Fuck. bit of the other day and that's it's wild fucking insane that's wild it's like absolutely so crazy to see the difference between surfing like shredding back then and shredding now because mm. it's like you haven't like it just it's just it's like a died or something you know like since the airverse or something i don't know the fin blow or like yeah. trying to bust your fins out it just changed the whole dynamic of mm. surfing and what Shredding was, and then you see someone like Oki who's just so back foot power, and he's just like the combinations he's doing is just ridiculous. You're mm. just like, oh my god, like bigger boards, more flow, like more, yeah, just never sliding hacks. out, mm. just fucking and just so fast and aggressive. And his boards never like planing flat, it's always on the rail, other you know. Off the off the heel or the toe, it's like Sick. it's fucking amazing to watch. Fuck yeah, yeah. Oh, really refreshing. That. So yeah, that's that's pretty crazy news. I, I um yeah, I don't know uh, what or when the movie's coming out, but um, stay tuned because it's gonna be fucking pretty good. That sounds off tap, and uh, can't let you go without giving us uh, a bit of a spiel on Ethan Ewing because he's uh, yes. he's kind of my favourite surfer in the world right now. He's rail he's game shredding, is just eh? 
blowing my mind. Yeah, yeah. So smooth and powerful and so mm-hmm. kind of light in his feet, but heavy when he puts it in the spot. Yeah. Psycho. Yeah, he's a, like, stocky little lad who's just compact, eh? Just mm. looks like he's never going to fall off, kind of. Some similarities between him and Glinderman. I guess um, Ewing's kind of a bit more of a lead-footed, older, mature version of Glinderman. But, um, yeah, mm. just that classical kind of North Coast, Gold Coast yeah. Rail game, fuck! It's just so good to watch, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's um, yeah, he's a man of few words, but when he gets out in the water, he fucking absolutely blows your mind. That's mm. for sure. Mm. It's cool to see. Mm. Yeah, he's uh, he's cursive on the wave face. It's just unbelievable. The he's, guy's riding fucking like Egyptian uh, yeah. pharaoh uh, hieroglyphics on the wave. He's off his. Head. He's having a blow up with the bouncer, isn't he? <laughs> It's fucking going huge. <laughs> now nah, it's cool. It's cool to see. Like to like to watch that kind of stuff. And Sick man. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for stopping by and giving us the heads up on the uh, the Billy's Bongos crew. <laughs> no worries. Thanks for having me. And um, I'll see you next time. I guess. Yeah, man. <laughs> if there will ever be a next time. I think there will be, unless right, cool. uh, pending some kind of nuclear catastrophe. Yeah. But uh, another pandemic, maybe. Yeah, yeah it could be another pandemic. Enjoy the Sunny Coast Live show coming up next. Mad. First brother, I like to say, and I hate speaking and fighting me, I don't want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their, his testicles so far off their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack it. Pull back. Drop down. Say, bah. Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous ways. Up the Eagles. Oh, that's the people, please. Oh, that looks good, Adam. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are bad. <laughs> Get a haircut. Yes, Shredheads, Waxheads, Kooks and Barneys. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, live from Gosford Leagues here on the New South Wales Central Coast. Oh, fuck, I can hardly breathe. It's about to pass out. Before we get into the uh, evening, Vaughan, I've got some bad news. It appears we've culturally transgressed. Uh, we've arrived on the Central Coast of New South Wales, but we've ignored the socio-economic class structure of the region. Uh, I was speaking to none other than a man who really needs no introduction up here, the great core lord, cone fiend, slab pig, chew pig, hell man, firefighting degenerate, Justin Jughead, Allport, and uh, who's in the house tonight. But he informed me, Vaughan, that we had inadvertently brought together a panel consisting only of Evoker Heights bourgeoisie. <laughs> Uncharacteristic, Un- I know. Unforgivable. Unforgivable. You're right, Vaughan. I mean, even Glenn Micro Hall, the great Yumina battler Irishman, uh, even he lives in ooh-la-la Avoca Heights these days. But, uh, I mean, and, you know, to be fair, well played to the man. Uh, you know, he's come a long way from the childhood spent in a dog kennel out the back of a Yumina Housing Commission flat. So well played, Micro. But uh, apologies for the cultural transgression. We'll try and make it up to you throughout the afternoon. So let's welcome to stage our first guest, please. Our first guest this evening is one of Australian sports' greatest statesmen. Ducks of his year at the prestigious Barker College, a published children's book author, philanthropist and two-time elite tour event winner, both times at the expense of the GOAT, Kelly Slater. He has been one of Australia's best and most consistent world tour performers for over a decade. 
known as the surgeon on account of his ability to take apart lips and faces with the dexterity of a Thai rhinoplasterer. Today, he's taking his blade to the underbelly of the establishment and anyone else who wishes harm upon our precious ecosystem. Please welcome to the stage the irrepressible, incandescent, illuminescent, effervescent, Adrian Ace Buckham! Ladies and gentlemen, what about this guy? Ace two, goat, block in WSL finals. Welcome to the show, Ace. Thank you. Were you familiar with that track? You know who that was? Um, I wasn't, mate, no. It's our, uh, it's our old mate, Hugh Masakela. Sal Masakela's old man, one of South Africa's absolute greatest exports, along with your own mother and I guess your father too. He went to university in Cape Town for a bit, didn't he? Um, yeah, he did. I should have probably picked that up. I grew up listening to that kind of stuff. But, um, mate, to tell you the honest truth, I feel a little bit clean cut up here next to you guys. Um, <laughs> Avoca uh, Heights, mate. <clears throat> it's a little bit lonely over here. But uh, let's get right into it, man. Tell us about your family's journey from South Africa to reaching Australia. Um, yeah, well, I feel pretty lucky that they, um, they picked Gosford. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nah, um, yeah, I guess <clears throat> late 70s, my mum and dad, or a, a little bit earlier than that, they um, jumped on a huge cruise ship, which you probably wouldn't be doing right now. Um, <laughs> they both waved goodbye to their respective boyfriend and girlfriend, um, bound for Europe, met each other on the ship, um, fell in love, got married in England, um, went back to Cape Town, Lived there for the better part of 10 years. My dad was a school teacher. Um, Mum, you know, worked a bunch of different jobs as a secretary. And, you know, when they started thinking about raising a family, didn't want to do it in South Africa. Um, that was kind of the height of apartheid and, um, you know, the Soweto riots and um, Mandela was in prison on Robben Island. And they were just looking for a better life and ended up choosing the Central Coast. My dad got a job at um, Barker College and ended up buying a block of land um, at South Kincumber um, and built a mud brick house. And yeah, I mean, we were 10 minutes from the surf and um, that was me. So I feel pretty lucky that I got to grow up on the beautiful Central Coast. Never made it to the famed Club Tropo here. but yeah, That's right, <laughs> the, the, the Johannesburg of... Australian East Coast, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much ended up in the same place, just with a few more lower WRXs doing donuts in the car park. <laughs> but Ace, yeah, just still on South Africa, man. Like, one of the things I adore about you most is uh, your social conscience. Like, you're always on point uh, with all the kind of philanthropic pursuits that you, you touch. And uh, when I was in South Africa, uh, we hung out a bit. And you were mentoring a crew of like local KwaZulu kids, uh, local African kids uh, who were fucking ripping. Um, but yeah, tell us about the work you've been doing with them. I remember Dylan, young Dylan, uh, we dropped him off at his house out in the township there around J-Bay, um, which is, you know, not the worst township in South Africa, but still a different world to the one I'm used to. But yeah, just tell us about the work you're doing with them kids. Yeah, I guess... I guess I inherited that social conscience from my dad, you know, like he felt so strongly about what he was experiencing that he decided to to leave the country he loved 
Um, and when I think about that, it would be like me, you know, um, disagreeing so strongly with what's going on in my country right now. Like, it was about my age, um, a couple of years younger, that, I, that, you know, he decided to leave. Um, which, by the way, is probably not too far off with old ScoMo right now. But, um, Where are you going to go? Mars. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that's left. Elon Musk, he's South African too, by the way. Elon Musk, the guy who's uh, he's kind of got his plan B out there on Mars. He wants to go set up a little country club out there, play a few rounds of but, golf. Um, yeah, no, I think to, to go back to, to South Africa, and as you mentioned, you know, J-Bay, my mum grew up like three hours away from J-Bay, just over the hills, and her family's still there. And we, you know, I've taken a couple of my daughters to visit the, the family farm out there, which is pretty special, but definitely feels to me like a bit of a second home um it's a really powerful place like you jump off the plane and it just feels like alive and different and smells different um and you can kind of feel all that history and power there um and yeah the to hang out with the young um you know south african kids there um is i think just it's it's eye-opening and to kind of feel their energy and their love of the ocean when they've been brought up, you know, with kind of far fewer opportunities than what we have out here and have kind of managed to find their way to the ocean and a surfboard and just to get to hang out with them is pretty cool. And as you said, you know, um, two to three minutes from, you know, one of the best right-handers in the world, there's a township there that they live in and, you, you know, you hang out with them all day and then go drop them off home and they're living literally in a tin shack. And, yeah, it's pretty eye-opening and... Um, Dylan, who you mentioned, an amazingly talented young surfer, just finished um, high school. And, yeah, I've just kind of, like, got to know him over the last probably five years and given him some surfboards and um, helped him a little bit with his education and, um, yeah, just trying to give him a chance to do what he loves. And I feel like that's what I've been lucky enough to do and it just kind of makes you excited to jump up out of bed every day and... um, yeah, when you look at the reality for them, waking up there, it's pretty, pretty bleak, I think. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced much of that kind of, uh, that township lifestyle directly? Like, I'm sure you spent a bit of time in them. Uh, like, I just got back from South Africa, like, well, six months ago. But, man, I was so shocked by that joint. It rattled me to the core. You know, you've got people living in mansions and, uh, you know, suburban houses, much like here. And then across the road, you know, pretty much 80 to 90 percent of the population are like you said living in tin shacks with dirt floors and no electricity like the inequality is just mind-boggling but um and, and you kind of wonder what's going to happen when the coronavirus if the coronavirus gets into communities like that but yeah what was your experience of you know that side of south africa which you don't necessarily hear about especially not in the surfing community we're pretty much tied up with j-bay and the world tour event but it's a very short drive and you're in a you're in a world that's almost beyond description, nightmarish beyond description. Um, yeah, my folks are actually there at the moment in Cape Town for a friend's wedding and, um, yeah, they're going to have to go into 14 days self-isolation <laughs> when they get back. Um, I just saw pop up on my phone just before we came in here. So, um, yeah, I haven't experienced too much, you know, the same as you. You kind of like, it's it's there if you kind of like just open your eyes and, um, as you mentioned, you know, there's such a great divide between rich and poor there. There's not really a middle class. Um, you know, for us, I guess we're just part of a greater middle class here and we've got opportunities, education, like, um, you know, healthcare to do the things we love. For them, that's, like, not a given. It's, it's all a struggle. 
Um, and then when you see that, like these beautiful big empty mansions literally across the road from a township, you don't question, you know, like if you've got three kids that you need to feed, like I would be walking across the road and stealing stuff and to feed my kids and, you know, like so you can understand the the mindset but like to the credit of like all those people like there's there's a healthy dose of respect and um you know i guess ability to get on with one another which is pretty admiring to when you do see how tough they've got it yeah absolutely uh but more recently you were down at the tarkine raising awareness about what was what's going on down there hanging out with uh peter wish wilson the surfing senator but yeah talk to us about uh that little adventure yeah i um I didn't actually know um, Pete Wish Wilson at all. I'd just kind of like, you know, been aware of him probably as most people would over the last probably 18 months. He's a Green Senator for Tasmania. Um, and I was like, wow, this guy, you know, he's a surfer. He's travelling down to the snake pit in Canberra, like, to like go in and essentially represent us, you know. Um, he's fighting for the same things that we believe in and... Then when I became aware of the Tarkine, you know, and I guess it's beauty and it's, um, um, you know, all the things that are kind of cool, temperate rainforest, especially, you know, after the summer we've had where we've lost so much of our natural kind of ecosystem, that there's this place that is one of very few places still remaining on Earth that kind of dates back to, you know, Gondwana land, but yet our government is overseeing that being logged, you know, willingly. Um, and so I went down there and, and kind of to go into the forest and see these people that are, like, giving up their time to climb up trees. And they're not just hippies with dreadlocks. There's doctors. There's, um, you know, young people who are at university and everyone in between. Um, to go down there and experience that was really eye-opening. And um, Woody, who's in the crowd somewhere here, came down and documented it and... Yeah, that was, I don't know, just for me to be out of my comfort zone and um, experience something. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable, like, standing down there on a beach with a, you know, a, a 5.11 just, like, in my, in my zone. I was completely out of my comfort zone. But I just felt this urge to go down there and experience that. I'd never been to Tasmania. I feel like that's kind of, I guess, been the forefront of conservation and environmentalism, you know, dating back to... Um, you know, the Franklin River and Bob Brown and um, got to chat to Bob Brown on the phone, which was incredible. Um, you know, Pete um, showed us pretty much the whole of Tassie in like four days. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I want to do kind of, you know, post my career is try and use my platform, I guess, to inspire positive change and get involved in some of those environmental things and um, taxi. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like we need it, you know, like we're, we're sitting back and, um, you know, at the moment we've got a bunch of leaders that don't have a lot of vision, don't have a lot of respect for our natural environment and, you know, where we've come from. I feel like we've got a, you know, really rich cultural indigenous history that we're just put away in a box and, yeah, I think there's a lot to be learnt and we can really grow as a country if we embrace all that stuff. Fucking earth. We're raping and pillaging the land, Ace. It's an outrage. Couldn't have said it better myself. I was going to say, you know, we know that Scott Morrison loves to, like, force people into shaking his hand. He's probably changed his tune with all the shit that's going on. Did you ever get in Pete, Pete Wilson's ear and just say, 
Mate, if you, if you see Scott Morrison, give him the fucking Gosford handshake, mate. Um, I didn't. I was super interested. Like, he probably got annoyed with me. I was asking him a thousand questions and um, I was like, what's, what's ScoMo going to say to you when he sees you in Parliament, you know, next week? Because he was just about to go back. Parliament was about to sit. The, we flew out on a Thursday and he was heading back to Canberra on the Sunday for the first week of the year. And, um, yeah, it's bizarre. Like, you know, these guys are kind of at each other. I guess, you know, now these days across social media and stuff like that. And I was yeah, like, what's what? it like when you sit down in the cafeteria and, like, you're eating lunch? Are they glassing each other like Gosford Leagues? What's... <laughs> was it just smashing cappuccino glasses over each other's heads? Little... Clink. Is it something that you think about going into? I know you've got children. I know, you, you know you've obviously got an impeccable record of social activism and just having a, a social conscience and a good heart on you, is it something you'd be interested in getting into, politics maybe? Uh, not, not really. I don't think so. I feel like... Um, I, I would never say never, but... Because you um, fucking should take the blade to the underbelly of the fat white man, Ace. I'd love to see it. A couple of vert Rios in the pocket. Just stick one right onto ScoMo's chin. Just, like, just wave it around. Um, yeah, I mean, look... Yes, that's a yes, ladies and gentlemen. That's a yes. MP Bucking you, Bucking Beauty. Ace for PM. All right. Let's get into this career, Ace, Smithy. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, look, everyone thinks of you as surfing's nice guy, I think. You know, I, I worked on surf mags for 25 years. You, you couldn't find a, a skerrick of dirt anywhere near. You just loved, you put it on, you were great. But when you were a grommet, you were in a Trax Cadet Cup final against Blake Johnston. And you two went at it like a fucking couple of chihuahuas on a wet tennis ball. <laughs> it was unbelievable. You were just tearing in. I've never seen a more violent heat in my life. You remember the one? Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean... What's, what is your makeup Like, when you, when you were a grommet and you were surfing heats, did you want to win at all costs? Did you have that in you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I kind of hate that nice guy tag, but I mean, I feel like it's such a vanilla. Now's the time you know. to throw it off, Ace. Get Come on, Ace. No, so but I reckon I you're mean, a psychopath. That's you, my you thing. You can swear your fucking cuntish little heart out in this room. The backhand is a fucking fairly knifey turn, isn't it? This fella. It's the scalpel. He's got it's a the pretty knifey backhand. I'm not calling the surgeon for nothing. But yeah, um, like surely like even back then when you were 11, that fire was really obvious. Yeah, where, for where sure. Where did that come I think from? For, for me, the thing that's carried me throughout my career is definitely not my talent. Like, I know I've, I've got talent, you know. Um, I think there's plenty of people out there in the crowd that, like, I, you know, surf with you guys and, and um, you know, just as talented as me. But from a super young age, I was just, like, really driven. I was like, that's absolutely what I'm going to do. I know I'm going to make it there. I know I'm going to have a long career and, you know, no one's going to stand in my way. So... You know, I think whenever I put a jersey on, I was 100% committed to doing whatever it, you know, took to win um, within kind of like who I was as a person. Um, you know, I think you can bend the rules in various ways and obviously, you know, we see that every year. Um, but, 
Yeah, I mean, even like I work with Glenn now and we had some amazing battles as kids, like, but we were able to leave it in the water and I think that's really important, you know, um, no matter what sport you're in, to be able to separate kind of work from play and life and feel like I've been able to do that. There are obviously times when, you know, the lines are blurred a little bit, but, yeah, absolutely, when I put a jersey on, I definitely want to win. I met you and uh, you and Micah on the same weekend. It was a, a Billabong junior mate program or something. Well, they, they used to get all the junior team together and yeah. we'd go up the coughs, and you two were just fucking tiny. You, you were doing your post-heat, uh, sorry, post-surf uh, shower in the little, not the urinal, but the, the little sink... <laughs> And you and Dingo Morrison both fit in the sink. Like, that's how small you were. You've been, you know, obviously, like, uh, had eyes on you your whole junior life. How did you handle that when you were grown? Do you think you deserve it when you're a kid and you're getting free weddies and, you know, it's all just sort of happening and you've got, you know, the attention of one of the biggest surf companies in the world? Yeah, not, I mean, not really. And to be honest, like, I guess I still, you know, pinch myself that I get to wake up and, and do what I love. Like, obviously, work really hard for it and I never came to I don't even know Club Troppo's here somewhere I never came to Club Troppo um it's a, an absolute sporting <laughs> career graveyard isn't it Club Troppo the amount of our uh, professional so, football players that have yeah. come unstuck there over the years wow um no I mean I guess I made sacrifices along the way you know to make sure that I could get where I wanted to um but yeah I feel super lucky to um have been able to have the career I've had and definitely those days, like I vividly remember that trip, staying in a little caravan, I think we were at maybe, was it Park Beach or it was, it was somewhere along there at Coffs Harbour and I remember everything about it, I think, didn't we, we saw a UFO, I think, <laughs> we were telling this story We fucking the other day. saw a UFO, I'm not joking, I am not joking. I remember it, Glenn, you can ask Glenn when he comes up here but... I remember so much about that trip, like surfing with all my heroes. I mean, riding for Billabong at that time was a perfect company, you know, like I had like Joel, Dino, Rasta, you know, Margo, um, Simon Robinson. Oh, man, there was like so many, like I'm, I'm forgetting people, but like so many amazing surfers. And I was just this little kid, like Glenn was on Billabong too, and we got kind of dragged along to all these places. You guys were there working for the magazines and... Um, it was a different time, like, you know, obviously, um, you, you know, outside of the events, your net worth was, like, in how much editorial you could get, and so being dragged along on that program, like, Bosco was there taking photos, and, um, yeah, just so many good memories. Um, I think I probably saw my first porn magazine on that trip, I got <laughs> dragged up to the drum circle in the woods. Important and, formative uh, years, Vaughan. Um, <laughs> a couple magazine. of pages stuck together, porn magazine. God. You come what? out of the womb and you're getting bloody red shoe beamed onto the back of your eyelids these days. It's highly sexualised society. The porn magazine was like, it was more like a porn brick by the time it had gone through all the grommets. <laughs> there was no turning the pages. No, talk about a shit sandwich. That thing was just dripping, dude. <laughs> dripping in mayonnaise. Nasty business. Should we get into some of the highlights of Ace's career before we get his, his sure. teammates up? But before, just before we do that, I wanted to know, Ace, uh, I mean, obviously you were one of Australia's uh, most consistent and best world tour performers over a, a long period of time, but... <laughs> Sorry. 
Oh, wow, that's a real Evoker Heights pour there. Nothing but head. <laughs> but, but, yeah, talk to us about uh, your world tour career nearly didn't happen. You had a degenerative uh, kind of back injury, degenerative disc problem at a, at a pretty young age. Uh, you know, what was it like overcoming an injury like that, um, you know, and, and managing it throughout your career? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like my junior career, I, I mean, I guess I look back and I'm like, I couldn't probably be happier with what I did as a junior. And then when I was, I think, 19, I had this, this back issue, which had kind of been bubbling along. And then all of a sudden I didn't surf for like six months, like pretty much just kind of like fell off the face of the earth pretty much. And, um, yeah, I think to be that young and have the world at your feet and then almost have it ripped away from you, like, kind of in an instant, like, made me realise that, <clears throat> you know, uh, having a career and um, being a pro surfer wasn't just a given. Um, so it made me, when I kind of worked through that, um, not take anything for granted and, um, you know, work really hard and probably just reinforced, um, you know, all of those things kind of, you know, that determination and commitment to do what I love um, made me work a little bit harder and kind of make a few more sacrifices. Um, yeah, I think I, I, you know, I guess, you know, my dad was a school teacher. I, I felt like I was, at, in my head at the time, maybe held back a little bit because all my friends were out surfing and kind of like, you know, being 18-year-olds or 17-year-olds and partying and coming to Club Tropo and... Um, I was catching the train down to Barker College and playing cricket on the weekends, and you know, which I loved, um, but I, I, I felt like I really had to use my time wisely and, and work hard. And then, you know, working through that injury, I think just made me really realise how special it was to be able to do something that I loved and that I was talented at. And um, yeah, I really appreciated that. And when you were sitting at home, debilitated, unable to move, did you just wish? that you'd kept that porn brick from that earlier. <laughs> just, just to make the hours pass a little quicker? Oh, not really. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But it's interesting, you know, when you have a significant injury, a big setback like that, especially at a young age, you can kind of go one or two ways, right? You can spiral and, uh, you know, let the world get the better of you, or you can do what you did, I guess, which was just suck it up, and it might have been the best thing that ever happened to you, in a sense. Yeah, for sure. I think it gave me perspective and, I mean, I guess perspective in life is everything, you know, right? Like now I've got three beautiful kids and, like, surfing's really important to me but it's, like, secondary to being a dad and a, and a good husband and I guess you kind of, with three kids, you learn that lesson, you know, over and over every day, riding their kind of moods and um, the highs and lows and... Um, yeah, I think just going through that lesson at a really early age definitely kind of made me aware of that. And, um, yeah, I feel like every single year I've had on tour, you know, for the last 15 years, I've honestly, like, woken up in the morning, like, super excited. I can honestly, you know, people ask me, like, where's my favourite stop on tour? And I love going everywhere. Like, I love getting on the plane to go to Brazil. Like, um, a lot of people blow that event off and... <laughs> um, you know, like, I've really appreciated every, every kind of heat I've got to surf, every event I've got to be in, and, um, yeah, I think just 
kind of going through that before it all started definitely set me up in a good way. Ace, mate, such a wild world tour career. Like you said, 15 years at the top level. Uh, you know, give it up. And, you know, you, I, never, I never saw you in all that time lose your cool or, you know, disgrace yourself in, in any way, shape or form. You're an absolute, uh, you know, just the epitome of a, a role model and a statesman for surfing and Australian sport in general. Um, from that incredible career, though, surely two events stand out, beating none other than the 11-time world champ, De Goat, twice in both finals, 2008 uh, in France, was it, and... 2013 in Tahiti, but yeah, what do you remember of those two, uh, those two contests? And go deep. I, I want to know, like, you know, we, we've had so many guests on this show who have Kelly stories, the mind games, you know, the respect, obviously, but when you've got a final against him, we know where he goes in those spaces. So talk about France, first of all, because that's a huge heat for you. He had, like, 30 CT wins already by then. Yeah, I mean, it was massive for me, like... Um, I'll go back a bit further. So the very first CT hit I ever surfed um, was 2003, I think. Um, I was still riding for Billabong at the time. I got a wild card into the event at J-Bay. Um, my dad has a really good friend called Dougal McDonald who owns one of the best properties on the point at Supertubes. You guys, I think you've both been there. Um, I sh- Crazy little zone. It's like yeah. this hundred-year-old writer's abode with yeah. uh, a chimney and a fireplace and uh, a porn brick in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, all the surfers on tour call it the Hobbit House. It's like, like you said, it's a pretty ramshackle little place, but it's like honestly the the best place. I think you could you could ask to stay there. And best ever. Um, I was staying there in 2003. I had a wild card into the event. Um, I didn't win my first round, so I was into the second round, and I was the low seed. Kelly was the top seed, so I came up against him. And um, I don't know where I'm going with this story. How did he I'm... treat you? How, how did he treat this uh, fresh-faced young grommet from the central coast of New South Wales? Was he a gent? Was he a scholar? Did he call you into a couple? <laughs> no, I mean, I was... Um, I just remember... Like, I was obviously nervous, excited. Um, it was kind of like four-foot, semi-inconsistent J-Bay. And I remember running up to kind of jump off for my heat. I was like, I'll go up to Boneyards and get the inside off Kelly. Like, um, and I ran past a keyhole, and there was my dad having a swim in his dickies. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly rattling. And, like, <laughs> everyone that knows my dad would have seen him plenty of times in his dickies. He's probably down at the pines right now. The sun's out. Um, but um, I was like, all right, this is just another heat. Like, um, went out and he comboed me and um, <laughs> I was like, all right, I've still got a long way to go. But, um, yeah, five years later, I, was, I think it was my third year on tour, we were in France and kind of found my way through the draw to the final. And, um, yeah, it was just like a kind of... For, as far as France goes, I guess it was a fairly nondescript. It wasn't like heaving six to eight foot Le Gravier or kind of anything, you know, picturesque as far as what you kind of imagine when you think of surfing France. It was like mid-afternoon, four, four to five foot left-hand rip bowl. I had a bunch of my best mates there. Um, some of them are out in the crowd today. They were there on holidays. And, 
yeah, I just felt super at home. I was in a good rhythm. Kelly was, I think it must have been like his seventh world title. If he won the final, it was a quick silver event. If he won the final, he won his title. Wow. And obviously, you know, like he was a favourite. But I just felt like I was on a crazy roll. And to be honest, I didn't think too much about like, wow, I'm in a final against Kelly. I was just like, all right, this is another heat. I kept doing my thing. And um, yeah, it was a good final. I think he had probably the highest score and... Um, we kind of just traded good scores and at the end I was like still in the lead and it finished and yeah just a crazy feeling to be like this 23, 24 year old kid against you know I mean I grew up watching his videos like Kelly Slater in black and white before pretty much every surf Um, I would have been probably 10, 11 years old when he won his first world title Um, so yeah, he was a hero of mine, and yeah, to be in a final. Was there you know, any chatter? Was there any eye contact? Was there any like fuckery? Well, I was on the beach actually, Vaughn, and uh, I actually like to. I was, you know, on the beach, longing a couple, and I'd, I'd like to know, Ace. You know what? I remember at about 24 minutes into the heat, uh, looking up at the contest scaffolding and seeing every single Quicksilver employee with a little Ace Buck and Voodoo doll just jabbing it in the eyes, like. <laughs> How did that feel? I mean, was that rattling? I mean, you know, Slater, he's obviously an 11-time world champ, but, uh, you know, he, he spares no expense when uh, it comes to head fuckery. It felt good. I was, I was in the zone. Um, no, I just, like, it was just one of those moments where I just, I, yeah, I honestly look back and I'm like, wow, like, I didn't, you know, second-guess myself, anything I was doing, um, and I was just kind of not worried about who I was surfing against, but just... I guess, putting in the best performance I could. And um, I think sometimes, Kelly, if you engage in his little mind games, that's when he kind of, I think, you know, grows in confidence. And definitely the two finals I've had with him. Um, and, I mean, look, we've surfed a lot of heats together. Um, and he's got the better of me for sure in all those other ones. But, but not where it counts. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> two world title wins. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, after you won that event, obviously everyone on this entire coast was just losing their minds, having the biggest fucking party ever without you. Because, you know, everyone was watching, everyone knew what was going down. What did you do? Just take the pawn brick home and uh, have a <laughs> bottle of wine? And No, I had, like I said, I had like four or five of my really good friends um, with me there. I went, there's a little spot on the river there at Hosgore that you guys would know. I went there, I was starving. So I went there to get something to eat with my good friend, um, James Money, who was travelling with me. Grabbed a... <laughs> he's probably the man who came to Club Troppo the most out of anyone here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we went to get some food and a beer and then literally, like, no sooner had we jumped out of the car, Kelly rocked up with his girlfriend, Kalani, and... I was there with um, Gilles, the guy who owns the, the restaurant, who's a good friend of mine and good friend of Kelly's too, and we were having a beer and he offered Kelly a beer and Kelly's like, oh, no, I'm all right. And James kind of looked at me. He loves a beer, James. And uh, <laughs> I looked at Kelly and I was like, come on, mate, have a beer. So it was actually pretty cool. We had a beer together. It was just um, the five of us there and then I uh, went back and... Um, went to Café de Paris, which is a rite of passage for any Australian surfer. If you win an event in France, it's like, um, it's changed a little bit now, but it's, you know, on the town square in Hossegore, 
Um, it's this beautiful old little pub, and they pour these beers, which we call giraffes, in these long... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's interesting because Café de Paris, you know, conjures images of, uh, you know, quite a decadent uh, cheeses the and bourgeoisie. frogs, but it's actually just giant fucking stalks of beer and Aussies just sucking it out of the hose, spewing in their own mouths. Yeah, and exactly. So we were there. So that's what happened. Epic. Yep. So we all know that Kelly, you know, he's lost the final. He's gone home. He's written it in his little black book of people he wants to murder. So a, a few... A couple of years later, you find yourself in another final, this time in Tahiti. And, you know, by this stage, you've been on tour a good while. You know how rare it is to make finals. You know how important it is to win them. And you know that Kelly wants revenge. Like, you know that that's what he's thinking. So how different was your mindset going into that? It was actually, like, strangely similar. And I think I said it before, like, I was just like... Psychopath, I knew it. (laughs) Um, I, I kind of had one of those days where it was really, I would call it kind of fun chopu. It was like four to six foot with the odd bigger set. So it was all on the inside ledge. There was a couple of sets that broke on the outside, but you couldn't really go and sit out there because there wasn't enough of them. So really nice direction, like southwest. Um, I was riding actually a quad fin for the first time and just like felt super confident. I'd ridden it the day before and was like, wow, this thing feels amazing. Um... And my second, we surfed a lot of heats that day because I had to finish. I think it was my second or third heat of the day. I had John John and he got a 10 like in the first two minutes. And I was just like, oh, fuck, like, all right. Like, and that heat, I managed to like just find a way to win. And I feel like that's when you know you're kind of on is when you just manage to scrap your way out. He had a 10 and I managed to get like a, high nine and a low nine and then he just couldn't couldn't find the backup so I just felt like I was in a really good rhythm and then the final came around and um I remember Kelly was on his boat and I was on my boat with the family I stay with and he kind of we hadn't really engaged and then he kind of like looked over over because they always have a break between the semis and the final he's like all right like let's do it you know like and I kind of like didn't really give him the time of day and I don't know I just felt like all right like let's go like the waves were great it was late in the afternoon it had glassed off and um yeah I I don't know I just it it was a really high scoring final I got um that one wave at the start of the heat um that I guess kind of set me up but um yeah I just kind of I felt confident and I think for me luckily through my career I feel like I've done better against the the top guys I've maybe struggled at times kind of surfing against some of the middle to lower seeds and yeah I, I just felt like really up for the battle and enjoyed it you mentioned uh slater gets confidence the moment you kind of buy into his uh i know rhetoric before the heats what qualifies as gamesmanship versus you know something that's you know pretty innocent like it's, it's such a fine blurry line with him i mean it's, yeah, i can give you examples like something like uh, him rocking up at uh the front yard there at John John's house before, uh, I think, uh, what was it, their heater pipe, something like that, you know, just that kind of friendliness. Is that friendliness or, like, how does he get something out of exchanges like that? How does he weave his head fuckery into otherwise totally innocent exchanges? Like, everyone's, I feel like, as a fan and just a member of the public, half the time when you're hearing guys talk about Slater's tactics, you're going, you're just paranoid, cunt, get off the cones. Like, 
he's just been a good bloke. Like, he's coming up and saying good day. Yeah, he's like... How many times has he read an interview and gone, what? Fuck, that was not what I was doing at all. But... Like the Rob Machado high five, for instance. You know, there's a lot oh, of tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorists out there claiming that was uh, poor sportsmanship. I mean, there's many, many examples over the years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, where do you draw the line between, uh, look, I'm going to cop that. It's just, a, it's just some exchanging pleasantries. And then at a certain stage, you just have to draw the line and go, listen, cunt, you're fucking... You're getting a little too friendly. You're getting a little too close. Back the fuck up, goat. Oh, shit. Um. It's a fair question. Yeah, I mean, gosh, the guy's been around for so long. I'm so glad. I think I'm the second oldest on tour now, but he's got me by a good decade. So, um, <laughs> look, I think he, I think, to be honest, a lot of it's not intentional. It's just who he is. He's a different social creature. It's what he wants um, you to think, Ace. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess I've just never really kind of maybe been, you know, affected by it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, he has a different way of engaging, you know, before heats and so on. And, and as, as do we all, you know, um, everyone does things in their own way. You know, Mick was famous for that, obviously, not talking, you know, during his heats. And, I mean, I've surfed plenty of heats against Mick, like, even when we are staying together. And, um, you yeah, know, what was that like? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's bizarre. It's the one sport where you can, you know, be surfing a heat against one of your close mates, having shared you know, the whole experience from going to the event early, preparing, you know, going through the ups and downs of early rounds and then, like, you know, surfing in a quarterfinal together. Um, yeah, and um, I think that's also what makes surfing so special, that there is that kind of camaraderie where you're supporting one another as well, especially the Aussie guys. You know, I was lucky enough to grow up in that kind of core lord era, I guess, <laughs> of, like, you know, um, all those guys I looked up to, Joel, Mick, you know, Hedgie, Davo... Um, Lee Winkler, Trent Munro, um, just so many amazing surfers who I got to cut my teeth against and, you know, I guess when I first made the tour I was like this young skinny kid and like I'd paddle out for free surfs and there'd be like Oki at the top of the line, Jake Pato, Sonny Garcia, you know, even like guys like Pedersen Rosa, like, like guys who I'd just like idolised, you know, since I was a kid and there was a real kind of hierarchy to all the free surfs and... Um, what happened yeah, if you stepped out of line of the hierarchy? What happened if you stepped out of line of the hierarchy? Like, that is such a core period of professional surfing. Like, those guys you mentioned were, were rough and raw characters. Sonny Garcia, Pedersen Rosa. I mean, I'd be so interested to have been in your position or to even be a fly on the wall and just watching the dynamics of the tour at that period unfold. Um. Yeah, Gosford handshake if you stepped out of line. <laughs> <laughs> For me, honestly, I, I luckily got to grow up in a place where on the coast and, like, there's probably a bunch of, bunch of people in the crowd that growing up as a kid, there was that similar kind of respect in the lineup. Like, there was so many amazing surfers here as a kid and we were supported by those guys. We weren't, like, I mean, yeah, like, I grew up in the era of, like, you know, Grom bashing and like all of that but it was it was like done in a healthy way I feel like um bit of healthy so, abuse I know it yeah <laughs> it didn't feel like when I got on tour it was any different like 
you know, I kind of showed my respect and, and got respect. Smithy and I were talking about this backstage before we came out. I was going, God, how the fuck is, like, the Central Coast really does. Like, right now, you guys are having the biggest renaissance since, you know, Ross... Powley, like Bryce, all of that, that yeah. time. There's something to be said about the way that there's just this no-nonsense. Like, they're, they're, there's a craziness and there is a coreness that is undeniable. But it's also not flashy. Like, Powley was one of the biggest superstars in the world, but he still went about his business in this really direct, no-nonsense kind of way, you know? And, like, listening to you talk now... You're so even. You're, you're even about your wins. You're even about setbacks. What makes your blood boil? What makes you either fucking lose it with excitement or fly off the cliff into a mad rage? Yeah, like, I mean, I think, obviously, like, all those guys you mentioned, I just grew up, like, Pally, Ross Clark Jones, Sanger, Glenn Winton, Bryce Ellis. Um, yeah, I was just like, wow, like, those guys have cut the path for, you know, uh, myself, Wilco, Micro, Wade... Um, and, like, we just kind of got past the torch. So, um, for me, that flame was lit from a really early age. Like, I was just like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, um, and, and who lit that flame? Was it Jason Buttonshaw? Was he lighting the flame? <laughs> was he from up here? No, no, I, I know who it was. It was Dave Nielsen, clearly. Another great pro-surfing success story. Dave Nielsen, where is he now? Is he here? I love him. Is he alive? Wild units. But, but honestly, Ace, like, tell us about the last time you were genuinely had your heartbeat going through into your chest because you know like we sat next to each other in the lineup at the 2012 Fiji swell you know that crazy big one where the CT called it off and everyone flew in and it was one of the great days how was your heart rate that day yeah it was pretty high um, <laughs> I don't know I felt like the event got called off and I was one of the heats that was scheduled to run and I was like looking at these perfect I don't know I don't know like 20, 30, 40 foot waves. I didn't have the equipment at all, but I was like, I kind of felt like it was my duty and responsibility to go out there. So... Yeah, where um, do you reckon that stems from? That I know the feeling, the responsibility, like it's cooking. Yeah, sure, it's fucking 10 to 35 foot, but uh, you feel the just the urge to get out there, right? That's, is that a Senecoast thing? Is that uh, something you learn on the slabs around here? Yeah, maybe. I don't know, maybe watching Jug throw himself... Was there a little jughead just in your ears just yeah. going, get out there, you fucking pussy. What are you doing, mate? It's fucking yeah. coning off its dial and you're sitting in the boat. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, I was in the boat and I was just like, fuck, I've got to get out there. Um, so I borrowed a 7.6 and, yeah, I was sitting next to, next to, the, next to Vorno um, and, yeah, rode a, rode a wave, snapped it. Borrowed another board. I think I snapped that one as well. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a big experience. Such a wild experience, man! Look, you've been on tour for so long and through so many iterations of professional surfing. And uh, I just like I'll just give you guys a quick rundown um, of some of the I guess uh, mutations of the tour that you've seen. You know, obviously Fiji 2012. You were there for that, as we just mentioned. Uh, you were there for the passing of AI during the CT event in Puerto Rico. Like, you know, what are your memories of that whole period? Yeah, it's funny. I actually was in... Uh, I lost in the second or third round in Puerto Rico and then flew into Sydney and Beck picked me up and I went and had breakfast in 
um, North Sydney. And then this morning I was down in Sydney. I had a wedding there last night and I went to the same cafe. Hadn't been there since for 10 years where I like opened up my phone and saw that he'd passed away. And I was just like, yeah, like I brought all these feelings back today. And that was, that was wild because Andy for me was someone who I felt like he didn't owe me anything. But um, I was a kid riding for Billabong and he always gave me the time of the day. Um, Glenn will probably say the same. Like he um, maybe didn't have a reputation like that, but he really looked after us as young kids. And um, yeah, that was, that was pretty heavy. Yeah. You do, you do hear that about him. And you, I even saw it firsthand a couple of times. The way he would treat battlers, you know, you, you kind of like whether it was Groms or whether it was people like the cleaner at the contest site, like he did all these kind of small gestures that uh, they never really made the news and never made the press. But, you know, you could tell that this was a guy who had a very compassionate heart um, despite his, you know, obviously had major issues with substances and, and mental health, which fucking millions of people worldwide do. But, uh, you know, he was doing his best to, to find his way out of that quagmire of suffering and pain, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, you know, it was clear that he had his, had his um, issues and his battles, but he always made time for, um, for kind of the people around him, whether you were, like, you know, someone sharing a house with him, competing against him, or someone who wanted his autograph. Um, yeah, he was, like, an empathetic guy and, like, someone who I think, you know, his legend has only kind of grown stronger in the years since his past. And then just to go another step, another crazy moment uh, in your world tour career. You were there in J-Bay for when Mick Fanning got attacked by the shark. I mean, you guys are like uh, thick as thieves. You're very good mates. You know, where where were you when that unfolded? What was your reaction? Um, Yeah, that was... Yeah, I I can still remember the moment I I watched it happen. I was in the semi against Julian and right at the end of the heat I had a wave where I, literally, I should have got the score. I'd done a bunch of big turns, and then for whatever reason, I fell down in front of the keyhole, needed an eight, and he popped up. He'd ridden the wave before me, which was no good, and he's like, oh, how'd you go? Like, And I said, oh, it's going to be like a low seven. Like, I fell on the last turn, and I got like a seven-two or something, and he made the final. And so I thought about it. I was like, I kind of, in some way, should have been out in the... In the, in the water with Mick and, you know, things could have been different. Um, as it was, I was, like, standing in the surfers area having a beer. Um, Beck was standing next to me and Ruby, my first daughter, was probably uh, one at the time and I was pushing her in the pram. She was asleep when I, like, looked up and thought it was a pot of dolphins, but obviously it was a great white. And, like, yeah, it was just, like, this kind of out-of-body experience, you know, seeing one of your good mates you know, in that situation. Um, and did you and think, like, I mean, I was watching on TV and, and when he fell off his board, I'm like, oh, my Lord, it's got him. Like, I looked from the, the broadcast that had him by the legs and was ripping him the bits. I mean, was that your first reaction? For sure. I, I actually looked away because I, like, <clears throat> couldn't watch and Beck said to me, she was like, he's all right, he's all right. And we all kind of ran down the beach to, because I guess the boat picked him up. Um, but, yeah, that was like, I guess, you know, the reality of competing in a sport where, you know, that's that's a possibility, you know, not just there but at, at a number of spots. And that night, I think being with all the guys on tour and kind of feeling that camaraderie was something really special. 
Um, it was almost like being at someone's wake, but they were there with you. <laughs> it was bizarre. Yeah. Wow, man. That is fucking as harrowing as it gets. Where are you at right now? Like, obviously, uh, there's been a separation from Hurley, long-term sponsor. Been on tour for a long time. What's your motivation? Where are you at? Do you see yourself goading out and staying on tour? Do you have goals for this year that you uh, are really zoning in on? Is it, is it top five? Is it just an event win? Where is Ace Barkin at right now in his career? Mate, to be honest, like, I was, what's today? Sunday, Friday, I was like, I just decided to drive up to the Goldie, like, super excited about the year um, and got a text message that Snapper's called off and I don't know, I mean, maybe the whole year's going to be off, maybe we'll be down at Bells at Easter, I don't know, but um, maybe my kids won't even be going to school tomorrow, I don't know, like, um, I think personally I was like super excited about the year ahead, um, still being able to be on tour and do what I love really drives me, um, but beyond that, just starting to do some different stuff that I guess I haven't been able to, you know, do, um, you know, because you're dictated to by that schedule, you know, having all the events, I guess I'm kind of excited about the unique opportunity that this year might present, like reconnecting with people in your community, like Fucking being Put in your Australia. feet up, you know, watch a bit of telly, get the porn brick back out again. <laughs> Just enjoy is, it. Is getting, is getting your hands on some toilet paper in your, in your goal list. Because uh, I've, I've got a roll right here. <laughs> and uh, I reckon uh, if Ace doesn't want this... It'll be at the merch desk for about 40 grand at the end of the show <laughs> if anyone wants it. Not joking. Is that going to be the new uh, WSL world title trophy? <laughs> to be honest, like, at the moment with three kids, five and under, like, getting through each and every day is like, you get to the end of the day and you're like, wow, we made it. Like, <laughs> just, I don't know, those wow. of you out there that have got kids will appreciate that, but... Um, before the year started, I was like, I wrote a few goals down. I was like, all right, like, last year was hectic, like, had a lot of stuff going on. I was like, this year, I want to make the top 10. I want to win an event and I want to get a 10. And that were the three goals that I had for the year. Beyond that, it's, you know, using, I guess, a platform I've got to work on some things that I'm passionate about, whether that's the environment and things in that space. But I think that'll keep me pretty busy. A 10, have you ever had one? I've never had a 10 on what tour. What the flying f smithy? That's a bloody outrage it is. All right. Well, we've a round of applause for Ace Barkin. Mate, you are an absolute legend. You really are. Like, to, to do what you've done over the time that you've done it and to still be not just competitive but in the frame for wins as far as smithy and I are concerned and everyone in this room, full credit to you. Thanks very much, mate. Fucking oath. Our next guest is the most successful surfer in Irish history. A remarkable achievement considering he spent 10 days there on a Kentucky tour in 1997. A product of the Bogan Mordor, that is your minor. This tiny Irish hobbit escaped his fate and the wrath of angry gargoyles such as Drew Courtney and Dave Reardon Smith on his quest to find the precious golden cone. He escaped hell only to spend a further seven years on the World Qualifying Series. 
with the precious ring in sight, he slipped and instead of getting the ring in his hands, got coral reef in his ring during that fateful round three heat in Fiji. Today, he's surfing's premier super coach, overseeing a stable of talent that has included Mikey, Tyler and Owen Wright, Matt Wilkinson, Ace Bucken and Connor Coffin. Please welcome to the stage, the Irishman from Yemina, the man sporting a cauldron of golden cones, Glenn Micro Wait, wait, we haven't uh, given him his traditional introduction. And a tiddly dee potato to you, Micro. Welcome to the stage, my friend. Uh, how does it feel to be here, mate? You very happy to be here? I have no idea what you just said, but yeah. What's the question? <laughs> Discuss your outfit. What, have you, uh, what are you wearing today? Uh, yeah, this shirt. I actually was looking for um, a Bunnies jersey for... Vorno, which you can see. But now I stumbled across this T-shirt. It's a 1997 Billabong Pro Junior Series T-shirt. So I was like, for the core lords, this is it. Yeah, right. Talk to us. Uh, who was around at that point in the Junior Series? Who, who was your... Uh... I don't know. Bruce Lee. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Cansdell, Bede, Ace... Um, I don't know, there was so many crew back then. Who's the biggest Sam degenerate Porter, on the... He was sipping port in the car park every day. He was Sam Porter. Remember him? He was an Your epic. peer group, you guys grew up, like Jed mentioned earlier, in a wild time for junior talent. I mean, uh, there was not just the guys who went on to do stuff, but, like, your era had insane grommets, like, who were just, in, like, really good. How do you reckon you found a way through that to actually, you know, reach the top to the CT. For sure. Like, through that, <clears throat> through that era, I was so shit compared to the crew that was there. Like, there was, yeah, Mick, Parco, Dingo, Taz, Zane Harrison, um, the Mackers, Darren Rafferty, Trent Munro, Lee Winkler, Hedgie, and I was this little peasant down the back trying to... <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Did, with those guys around, was your goal just, all I want to do is 14 years on the QS? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> oh, fuck. I, yeah, I don't know. It probably wasn't my goal, but uh, I never looked too far ahead. No, look, obviously. man, to be fair, you, you, you're definitely underplaying how insanely good, not just that generation was, but where you fit into it, you know, like, you were one of the best. On that trip that I was talking about with Ace, uh, when you were just a tiny grom, in my view, you were the standout surfer, and there, that was including guys <laughs> that like... That is bullshit. I'm, no, I'm fucking dead serious. I got back to, uh, I got back to work, and I said to Vinnie Lauder, who, whoever was running the Billabong team at the time, it's like, micro, mate, that kid fucking rips, because... You were just punching it way more vertical than just about anyone back then. Did you when see, it was a grommet, how hard did he hit it back end? What about Gainey's clip? The Pulse one they posted two days ago. Glenn on his 6'5 shortboard. <laughs> I, I got sent a clip from Gainey, Justin Gainey, who used to make all the videos back in the day of all the Aussie groms. And um, 
he sent me like a minute of footage of when I was a Grom and I was so excited to watch it. It was fucking hideous. It was so bad. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. And then today he posted a clip and as soon as I saw it come up, I was like, oh, no. And then the, wave, the one wave I might have actually done a turn, he posted. So thanks, Gainey. <laughs> and now for our international listeners, Justin Gain, of course, he's kind of like the Francis Ford Coppola of uh, early naughty surf films based mostly around the mid-north to north coast of New South Wales, an absolute don of the uh, genre. But, uh, Marco, is it true, mate? Is it true? Are you one of them now? Are you one of the Evoca Heights mob? I've, I've even heard you've, uh, you've tried to change your accent to fit in. Uh, you don't even talk to your friends back in your minor. Have you, have you joined the bourgeois, the elite? No, I'm just a resident of the coast, and um, uh, yeah, I did your minor, your minor board riders forever, and now I hang out down at Vogue board riders because all the the crew I coach and I'm friends with are there, and and then we surf the reefs with all the legends from Shelley Beach, and and then surf up Pillows Way from with everyone up there, and it's yeah, I think the coast is pretty, it's in a good spot right now. It's like it's got a healthy rivalry. There's there's people from, you know, in, in, right down the bottom is, you know, in Yamina, all the way up to Nora Headway and Catho, and there's great service from everywhere, and everyone's, you know, healthily competitive. It's, it's really cool. But when you're a Grom, and, you know, we all feel that passion for our home beach in particular, because the world isn't a big place when you're a Grom. It's your beach and the next beach and maybe the beach after that. Yeah. Who were your heroes growing up? In your minor, because there was only a few, but they were fucking characters. Yeah, where I grew up in your minor was, it was unbelievable. It was, it's kind of weird. Like your minor beach only gets south swell, so if it was south, there was waves to ride, and if it was northeast, it was dead flat. So, you know, in having Dave Nielsen and Drew Courtney and Jaron Stapleton, and yeah, and then it's, it sounds really weird, but even the crew who didn't surf but played footy, I, I admired them just, just as much. So it was like. Doesn't sound weird to me. <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole town played footy, and it was like you know, all my friends, you know, they they played for the minor bunnies, and and I loved it in the water or on the hill watching the footy, and I don't know, I got inspiration out of seeing them chase their, you know, in dreams, even if it was just to have a punch on on the field. It was just like <laughs> it was just like cool. I know where we grew up. It was a pretty, you know, it was a pretty cool community, and and I appreciate everyone that helped me from there. Yeah, your man Chris Hynington uh, had an incredible NRL career. He's, uh, I think, now a commentator on the ABC. But, yeah, what was it like coming up with him? Hynington, he played for, uh, what, the West Tigers for, for years and years. And, uh, I think that was it, was it? Yeah. Wrapped it at <laughs> Great career, very memorable. Uh, he may have had a few head knocks along the way, but he's... Um, he's... Yeah, me too. How's, it, how's, he, how's he doing with those? Nah, he's one of my best friends and he's helped me with, um, yeah, in every, in every area of life and, and watching him do what he does now is, is pretty cool. But, you know, growing up, watching him chase his goals to be a, a, a footy player, like, he wouldn't understand how much that inspired me to do my thing. And, and um, yeah, he's a, he's a motivated, passionate passionate dude who just wants to give it a crack at whatever he does and and that helped me you know just as much as anyone who surfed so yeah he's he's doing really well now he played about 4,050 games and made some ridiculous number of tackles and it's like yeah it's crazy that he's still walking and and he's a really good bloke I, I think Chris too like I didn't know him as well as Glenn obviously like I mean actually when we were kids 
I spent a lot of time at your minor, like going to parties and having fun. But um, Chris kind of typifies that, you know, Central Coast spirit that you talked about. He probably wasn't the most talented guy in the NRL and he talks about being told that he was too small and, um, you know, ended up, as Glenn said, playing some ridiculous number of games, like played at a rep level and just had like this like really kind of crazy drive and motivation to be there and achieve what he what he achieved and I think that kind of goes across he, he got sports a on the coast. He won with the Sharks, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, two. Tigers and the Sharks. Tigers and Sharks. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah. Um, talk about your transition, Micro, from junior surfer, uh, you know, like Ace, uh, getting a lot of mates from support and, and hitting the QS and things not going to plan, you know, having to grind it. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of the weird old life lesson of, you know, and you learn, you learn more when things don't go to plan you you're chasing your um chasing your dreams and you get a hurdle and get an injury i i had a bunch of years where i just missed out by one spot and that you know and it sounds sounds terrible and it sounds like you know when you can throw the towel in but that's when i grew the most as a person and um i remember i had one one heat with mick where i needed to make the quarterfinals Whatever, whatever it was, had sunset, and I had Mick in my heat, and I kind of obviously deep down thought, I hope he goes easy on me, and I need to make that heat to qualify. And he came up to me before the heat and was like, gave me a little pep talk of like, you know, and deep down he was hoping I could do well and and wanted to be on tour, and we've been mates forever. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then he went out, and he went absolutely fucking Mick on me, and it was. <laughs> and and I was yeah, you know, and I've I've seriously taken that lesson on more than anything that he's ever taught me, and I, I think, and I I didn't make the heat, didn't qualify, but I couldn't appreciate that that lesson anymore, and I passed that on to to everyone I, everyone I work with that you know, and it's you don't want a handout, you want to you want to earn it, and that helped me you know in qualify in the future, so. And then it's helped me to, you know, on tour do my thing and then on as a coach do my thing. So it's, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, mean, I went from the juniors and I I was pretty much barely made a heat until my last year. So, no, no I, I didn't do too much until my last year and then I, um, my last year somehow kind of stumbled. I, I won a Voca and that was epic because I was at home and, you know, and all my mates were there and... And then I went to the Goldie and won the very next event at the Goldie, and that was, you know, and it was amazing. And all of a sudden, I was actually on a roll, and I was, I was doing all right. And and then from there, I went to QS, and I swear to God, for that 14 years or whatever it was in the QS, I was, I was almost there. But yeah, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I swear, I wouldn't. You mentioned, uh, you know, through the hard times, you experienced a lot of growth. Uh, how did you know? Like, how do you know when you're growing? <laughs> so to speak, yeah, uh, metaphorically speaking. Uh, well played. Um, nah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's weird. Someone actually asked me a while ago what was the biggest achievement, or what was the the you know the the area where you felt like you're most proud of, and and I I swear I remember sitting in the hospital at Gosford. Which is random because we're here, but um, surprised you made it out of there, mate. Yeah. It's good to have you here, Marco. No, it was the year, 
the year after I almost qualified and I was practising at the Pines and it was kind of that January, February time when you kind of, in my head, I was like, fuck, am I really doing this again? I'm going to QS and and deep down I always, I wanted to do it because I just, I loved competing but it was kind of that many years down that it was kind of that questioning time of like, you know, and can you make it? And, and I genuinely loved surfing heats so it was kind of like, my answer never changed. So, and then I was surfing at the Pines. I pulled into a closeout and I, I blew out my ankle and I was sitting in the Pines and, and then, yeah, I was I hobbled up the beach, got to Gosford Hospital and then I was sitting in the hospital and not one bit of me wanted to give up and I was kind of like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, they say, uh, you know, you know you've grown when situations that would ordinarily stress you out don't stress you out so much. So I guess, like, that's an example. For sure, yeah. Like, you know, and at the end of that year, I I, put, I went on the QS, had another crack, and then, to be to be honest, when I look back now, like, the, the answer to that story was really that I didn't give up, and that was the easiest option to go. I, I did whatever number of the years on the QS, and I almost got there, but I didn't. Got injured, that's an easy way out. And to me, that's kind of like my proudest achievement. And now, I mean, you mentioned, yeah, just, you know, yeah, fucking oath, give it up, mate. No, I was just going to say, the, the, the year that actually, I think it was Bede, Sean, myself, Adriano, Bobby Martinez, all qualified, Glenn was, like, right in the top five the whole way. And then right when we all got the result that we needed to make tour, he just, you know, had a couple of tough heats and missed out and then pretty much like it would have been nearly 10 years later made the tour, which like, fuck, it's like pretty unfathomable to think, you know, like one of those situations for that long, you know, like, and yeah, I think it just typifies, you know, the person that Glenn is and obviously like, you know, he talks about all the things he went through in between like injuries and so on. Um, but yeah, like far out, man. Like when he made the tour, it was like one of the happiest days of my life. So sick. Fuck yeah. yeah. And talk to us, Marco, you know, about escaping, you know, the Bogan Mordor that is your minor. You know, you're this little Irish hobbit. There's these guys like, you know, these big giant gargoyles like Drew Courtney gardening the, uh, guarding the, you know, the exit. But you, you, you get out, you know, you escape. You're on the run chasing the precious ring, uh, you know, and you, escaping your minor was one thing. But then, uh, you know, only to spend a further seven years on the WQS, the hell, the, the fiery hell that is the WQS. Where is the camel? Where Camel, Courtney, he's like, he should be here. So you escape, you know, you, you escape your mind, you spend seven years on the WQS. He's actually probably downstairs. He's probably on the pokies. You have to be on the pokies. <laughs> and then uh, finally, you finally make it to the World Tour and the dream scenario presents itself. It's, you know, Tavarua pumping, four to six foot. You're in the World Tour, you're in the big dance. You finally got the precious ring in sight. Uh... And uh, instead, you slip, and instead of getting the ring in your hands, you get coral in your ring. Um, 
and I was just, I was interested to know, actually I was talking to the WSL doctor earlier today about the injury. Uh, you might know him, Flavio Ringsting. And uh, he told me the fire coral was wedged in your ring like a flaming red rhinoceros tusk. And uh, they actually needed the jaws of life to yank it out. Uh, ghastly, ghastly stuff. But yeah, just talk to us about that event and, and that injury. It was, it was hard to watch, to say the least. I don't remember that doctor, but... Um, yeah, no, it was a fuck, it was a weird situation. Obviously, I didn't get on to a. It took me a while to get there, and then once I got there, I was certain I was going to win a world title, and I was, <laughs> I, I would have won if I didn't hit the reef, a hundred percent. So, <laughs> nah, I um, I'd actually started the year. I made a couple of heats, and I was kind of stoked, and I was. Knocked Parker uh, over in Brazil, I think I remember that. Was that right? Big backside belts. I can't remember. I don't know. I Neither only won one or two, I'm but fudging. it felt pretty good. And I was I was cruising and, and then Fiji was a spot that I was looking forward to more than ever because um yeah, it's good waves, left handers, barrels, and it's kinda of like the dream that you always wanted to get there and, and surf good waves on tour and and then it was at restaurants, so it was pretty pumping and then I was in a heat against Geordie and we, you know, we, in my head, I was the favourite, even though it might sound ridiculous, but in my head it was, it was chattery, you know, in devil wind into the lefts and it was like restaurants and I was like, all right, if we go heaps deep, he can't make it and I can. And um, in hindsight, it was a fucking stupid theory, but it was, um, <laughs> yeah, in, and this set came and I was like, I'm, I'm going and I can make it but we were in the weirdest part of the reef we were a bit deep and and oh, I didn't make the wave and just no no hit a rock and it was it, was, it wasn't it was that bad but it it turned out pretty shit yeah, yeah what was the, the full extent of the injury it was like a broken back in the end along with the rhinoceros tusk of coral up your ring but um... <laughs> no it's I, I fell over a coral head and it was kind of just a, obviously an awkward situation where I was kind of flexed against it and because of the power of the ocean it was actually a kind of really solid swell and um I'm picturing was, Homer Simpson uh, bent over that fire hydrant it was heaps like that it was exactly like that I swear to god and it was yeah and then I was actually flexed over that for a while and I was thinking oh this is shit and then the worst part was then I got rolled off it and then my leg rope was stuck around the the coral head and I was like underwater getting dragged towards the shore and then it went from pretty shit to really shit and then my leg rope snapped and I was pretty happy but then I got my board and I got back out and I remember paddling back out thinking and there was a massive set coming and I was thinking if like I'm not kind of spiritual or weird but I remember thinking if I don't get through this set there's no way I'm gonna be one piece and it was weird and I just kept punching through these sets and just got at the back and then paddled back up the line up to, towards where Geordie was sitting and I was thinking to myself, fuck, like everything was all numb, my legs were numb and it just felt really average. And I got up and I sat at the back and I was kind of in my head thinking, all right, pretend nothing's wrong, like don't give anything away. It was like the kind of the weird mental games part of taking him deep, sit up deep, nothing will happen. And then I was sitting there and he could see in my face I was, fucked and he said are you right and I was like no nah, I just I hit my back and you have a look and he I lift he lifted up my jersey and I was like is there anything there he goes no nah, there's nothing much I was like 
thinking, fuck, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wouldn't you did tell me that it was really bad because it feels shit. And then I was and I was like and then the ne- the next part's kind of the real weird, spiritually weird part where I don't believe in this stuff, but a hundred percent I was sitting there, I was like, Alright, if I I was right a little one and if if a little one comes, I'll get up to my feet and just see if I can stand up. And then a little wave came, and in my head, I, all I could picture was lying down, doing the full cockroach straight into the reef, and, like, my brain wouldn't let my arms paddle for the wave. It was weird, because I was Crazy. trying to go the wave. I was literally going, all right, go this little one, just get up, see if you can stand up. And it was like my brain and my body wouldn't do the same thing. It was weird. Yeah, precognition. They actually say that is a... Uh a function of the human body is that the body is able to actually uh, identify, you know, risks and injury ahead of the brain. The body has a, another that's sense the, to it. And they're, they're studying yeah. this as we speak, but I guess that's a pretty good example of it. Yeah, that's the most I've ever actually had that explained because I didn't get it. I was just like, this is, I was 100% in my head going, go this wave and just test if you can stand up and my body wouldn't move. It was weird. I'm a wealth of information, Micro. Stop around any time, <laughs> mate. We'll have a couple of gold cones. Uh, but I'm interested to know, mate, you spent so long on the WQS. Like, you know, I don't think us in the public uh, who haven't been on the QS really understand how grueling, how torturous it is. Like, can you give us an insight? Maybe you've got some anecdotes or stories. But, yeah, just give us an insight into how <laughs> grueling uh, that contest circuit is. Yeah, the, over the years on the QS, it is unbelievable what's, what really goes on, and it's, it's probably not... Tell you later. Yeah, none of it's kind of relevant for now, but it's, it's um, some of the guys that hit the QS are there to do well, and some are there to have a really, really, really good time. <laughs> can, can you tell us the story about the Irish guys that came to watch you at Bells? I love that one. I love that one. Yes, do nah, tell. I actually, I've only got about three fans and they all came to Bells one year and then they, because I was representing Ireland and they're a bunch of epic humans, they, um, I met them somewhere and then they came to Bells and I was in round two probably, but um, <laughs> they came down, I was first of the day and they were at the bottom... They were at the bottom of the stairs at at Bell's and it was, you know, first thing in the day and they were fucking hammered. They were the best. Freezing. Fucking freezing, freezing. Freezing cold. They were blind drunk and they'd been going for whatever. But they, I thought they were there to support the comp, but they were genuinely there to support me and it was the best thing ever. <laughs> I, I, um, so I was, I was against Kolohe. I was the first thing in the day against Kolohe. They, um. They were there, blind, drunk, freezing cold, and I came in. I'd had a, I'd had my another shocker. They, um, I came in. I, I got a three and maybe a two, and then, um, and they came and they high five me like I'd won the heat, and I was like, I was obviously not that stoked in my performance, and they were like, fucking well done, and I was like, they were like solid effort, and I was like. Thanks, but I got a three. Not like it was a solid <laughs> fucking three, though. <laughs> I was so happy with my three-point ride, and I was like, that is, that's what fans are. Like, they were genuinely pumped for me. And then they were like, all right, let's... And I was like, let's have a beer later. And they're like, yep, yeah, 100%. We'll meet in the bar at the top. 
and then I had my family and... It was 8.30, wasn't it? Was it? 8, it was 8 o'clock, whatever it was, and then I had my family there and I, I got my shit and went and then they had been waiting at the bar all day and then I got back there and they chaired me into the pub thing at the top of Bell's and they, were, they shut down the DJ and they chaired me in there and they did a speech that I was in the comp. And it wasn't because I did any good, it was just because I was in the comp. And they're my favourite fans ever. An epic, epic yarn. Michael, I can't let you go though without talking to you about uh, your coaching record, man. Like, you've probably left a bigger mark on professional surfing through coaching than anything else. When did your coaching career really begin to gain momentum? It's a, it's a weird one, but I, the year I broke my ankle, the same the same year that kind of questioned my whole QS campaign, but I blew my ankle out and then I was out for the year. So I was, I was kind of homebound and I started doing some coaching with some juniors that were on the coast and it was at Avoca, then at um, just the northern end of Catherine Hill Bay and, and none of the crew were actually ever going to be well-built beaters, but... I did some coaching with them and, and I really enjoyed it and I didn't, I wasn't doing it for the money but I was really enjoying it and I was kind of like wondering like there's something in this that I really enjoy and and then I was like kind of going along for a couple of months and I was like absolutely loving what I was doing and then all of a sudden I had this brain brain idea that I was like holy shit, do these kids think they're going to actually make the tour and they're going to you know beat the world and their parents and I kind of almost had a meltdown of like I'm actually filling these kids with a dream that they're actually not going to make it. And I was like almost kind of panicked and I spoke to a couple of parents and they were like, nah, we don't give a shit. Like the kids are around someone that's helping them be happy and healthy and keeping them in the water and they're not in the mall. And then like I swear the next day I was like in my head I was like, all right, that's what I want to do. Like I want to help kids stay in the water and be happy and be healthy and be the best they can be and I, yeah it sounds weird but I swear the next day my brain just kind of didn't look back and and that was what I was really enjoying doing and it was funny because the day before I like fully froze I was like shit like I don't want to just fill people with fake dreams but that's not what I'm about but yeah and I got and, and then from there like I you know I did the QS myself Ace gave me one year where he took me to Brazil and, and let me um you know, and helping with a Q, at a CT over there where that was an opportunity to kind of, like, test my skills. And I, I went to Brazil as, as Ace's kind of half wingman, half friend, half coach, and, and he did well and we had fun. And and that same year I qualified, so it was kind of awkward. But um, but then I had my my short stint on the CT and then from then... From then but my, my dreams from that day never changed. So I really enjoy... I enjoy helping people more than I help. I see myself as a coach. Ace. Beautiful. Beautifully said. I love that. I love that. Aside from two decades on the QS, what does Micro bring to coaching? Why, why is he so good? What, what, how is he able to get everyone to perform at their best right when it matters most? Yeah, I think it's like, um, <clears throat> I guess a lot of, a lot of ex-surfers get into coaching as maybe a default kind of, you know, career, like when, you, when your surfing career is over. Obviously, Glenn, you know, fought for a long time to make the tour and he was there for a short time, but um, it was clear even when he was there 
that he knew what he was going to do afterwards. And um, I feel like, you know, his talent and his legacy, like he's actually kind of creating that now. And, you know, that, that really started for him after, you know, he got off tour. And you can really see that that's where his passion lies. Um, obviously. But, but what is it about Micro that allows you and Tyler Wright and Owen Wright and all these legends to hit the mark right when it matters most. What is it that this guy says to you? I think it's, I think it's like A, being really kind of excited and passionate about competing. If that's not what kind of drives you and makes you tick and it's clear that, you know, Glenn was, was someone who kind of thrived in that environment. But I think for me, it's like being aware of all the small details. You know, no matter what sport it is you're into, I think being into the kind of the, you know, minutiae of like whatever it is that makes that sport what it is, is what at a high level allows you to kind of to make those gains. And like for Glenn and I, when we rock up to Snapper or, you know, J-Bay or, um, you know, Pipe, it's about trying to like figure out where those little you know, one percenters are, whether that's like, all right, well, you know, on this tide, when the swells this direction, like, you know, this is kind of the strategy or, and Glenn is really driven by all of those small things. There is so many of those small details that, you know, it, it really does depend on your level as a surfer as to whether you can identify them. Like, there's a million of them, man. You hear Slater talk about cloud break, for example, and the guy's like, he sounds like the rain man when he's talking about it. But, um... I mean, Marco, I guess I can't let you go, man, without talking to you about two of your greatest coaching achievements. And one was, you know, almost getting a world title out of Wilco. Like, what do you remember? What do you remember of that run? Uh, yeah, Wilco is obviously one of everyone's favourite characters, and he's a he's an epic human. He's a he's a great friend, and he's um he was underachieving for so long that we all wanted to see him. Underachieving, he was rolling, he was riding rollerblades around the contest side. If you call <laughs> it underachieving, Michael, yeah, it's like it's yeah, it was definitely you know, as far as surfing ability goes, he's he's a freak, like he's he's got a talent that not Club many people Tropo do. Core Lord <laughs> into yeah. the yellow jersey, yeah, wow, I heard, I hear they've uh. He's, he's made the Club Choppo Hall of Fame and everything, hasn't he, Wilco? He's right up there alongside Chris Heinington, Drew Courtney, <laughs> and uh, that chick from uh, East Gosford. Yeah, the, the layback that Wilco can do on a dance floor is seriously, it's impressive. Exceptional. Yeah. And when you put that together with his surfing skills, it's like, yeah, so he was, he was seriously underachieving for so long that it was kind of, it was frustrating from... You know, and from a fellow surfer to a friend, it was, and it sounds kind of weird, but I, I honestly wrote out this, you know, way to try and help Wilco two years before I actually started working with him. I was, I was sitting on a plane from Sydney to the Gold Coast when I was, I was going to see Chris Prosser for my, um, for my back when I, you know, had my injury and I was flying up there kind of monthly to see him and I was... I was sitting there and I had this kind of like idea of, of a way to help Wilco almost view himself and I wrote it out and I'd, I'd had it in my diary for, for months and, and then it went on a year and I was like, all right, at the end of every year, pretty much 
Now, myself, Ace, his close mates, his dad, and everyone kind of gave him the old, can't, Willie, you're better than that. Like, it was almost the, the token end-of-year chat, and, and he knew it, and he's, he's, a, he's a smart guy, and he's a great surfer, and, and then kind of finally got my opportunity to, to really lay it out to him, and it was, it was not rocket science, and it was not... Um, yeah, it's not anything kind of genius from my end. And it was just come off the bottom and fucking hit it. Yeah. That's, pretty much the that's exactly all I wrote. But it's um, nah, it was it was pretty simple. But it was just really kind of getting the opportunity to to, to get Wilco to see his potential and and his um, yeah, it was pretty cool to watch him grow and you know, and I got him into training, got him to the gym, and within one week, his my my best memory was seeing him train. Stand on a Bosu ball in a cowboy hat with his his chubby rig, and he, <laughs> and his question was like, "When do I get to take a selfie in the gym with no shirt on?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "All right, we've got him. He's he's seen a selfie. He's ready to go." And he um yeah, and he was he was in. He was all in. He was ready to train, and he's ready to kind of just in his own version. And then it wasn't hard to see where he got to from there because he had the ability it was just how he had to kind of like shift a few things and it was um yeah and then from then on he went on a roll he won like some ridiculous number of heats in a row from Newcastle to Snapper to Bells it was like I'm pretty sure if you added up the heat numbers it has to be some record one of the best runs in history right yeah 100% you should call him Michael, uh, I couldn't let you go, man. I just, I really want to know as well, you know, you coached Owen Wright through a really difficult time of his career and you were there on the beach for that incredible comeback, uh, winning the Quicksilver Pro on return from, uh, you know, a serious brain injury. Talk us through what was happening behind the scenes on that day. Yeah, so Owen's, um, yeah, Owen's situation was seriously underrated compared to what, Everyone really understands. <laughs> it's awkward. Hey, Willie. Um, but yeah, his his snor- his story and his whole situation that he was in was like way gnarlier than anyone can probably ever ever imagine. And um, yeah, being in there in his corner was pretty special. Like it was. I remember the quarterfinals were on, and I was genuinely sitting at the comp area at Snapper. And I can't remember who I was talking to, and I was like, I don't know if he's going to turn up. Like, I probably didn't know if he was going to turn up for his heat. And that was, that was the quarters, but that was the same case through the earlier rounds, and that was probably not as surprising through the earlier rounds. But then when it got to the quarters, it's like game day, and it's like final day of the comp, and I was like, I'm, I'm here if he turns up. And it was... Pretty full on. He's sitting in his hotel room, just trying to muster up every bit of, you know, in energy and emotional space that he could find to get to the comp to serve the heat. And it was, um, yeah, it's a pretty wild experience as a coach to be able to, you know, and to be there through that that experience. Oh, it's mind blowing. Brain injuries are such an unknown. You know, you don't really know where the limits are, what you can and can't do when you're in that physical state. I mean. What, give us an idea of what he was up against, I guess. Yeah, I guess he's, um, you know, he's, he's had a brain injury. It's like you kind of lose all confidence and, and awareness and, and social skills to be around people and it's overwhelming and it's, it's just a lot of 
pretty much it almost means everything becomes overwhelming. So it's like you know it's hard to be around you know friends as as and then when you think of a, an event when it's crowds and interviews and heats and pressure and anxiety, it's 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 pretty full on. And yeah, what he's been through is insane. So. The, the results he's achieved is, is mind-blowing. Fucking earth it was. Mental. All right, give it up for Micro. Our next guest is the spirit animal of true blue old-fashioned Aussie power surfing. Critics might call it meat and potatoes, but getting sprayed in the face by this man is akin to getting bitch-slapped with a marble steak and having mash stuffed down your throat like Mr. fucking Socko. An Australian junior prodigy and runner-up at the Oi Rio Pro in Brazil. Please welcome to the stage the Amoka Jesus, the Gosford Grog, the meat hacking madman, Wade Hey, welcome to Ain't That Swell. Uh, it's awesome to have you on. You are our spirit animal. You are the evoker Jesus. You are the Gosford Grug. We love you. But s- say it isn't so, is it? I thought you were the all-Australian blue-collar meat-hacking madman. Not some champagne-swilling Evoker Heights bourgeoisie. I'm crestfallen, Vaughan. Listen, man. You are one of those guys who I, th- I put in the same category as Italo. Like, I, I feel like there's guys you see coming from a long way off. You see them when they're grommets. And then there's guys who just turn up and they fucking mean business. Tell us about your junior career. Like, did you feel like you had support? Did you feel like you were on a roll? Did you know that you could make, make it to the highest level and do the fucking damage that you've done? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, well, you've done a fucking good job, my friend. <laughs> I had no idea. I still have no idea where I'm going to end up. I could be on the street in my van around the corner next week, but... We're just... Classic Gosford can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not set on fire. <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. Um, I've just been chugging along. My dad's always said we're a good Aussie battler, and we're just going to keep it that way, I guess. Fucking earth. Fucking earth. Well said. Mad. Very mad. Tell us a bit about your folks, Mr. Evoker Jesus uh, Wado. Like, tell us about how you ended up in this part of the world. Um, yeah, just give us a bit of an insight into the, the family history. You know, um, what did your olds do for a living? That kind of stuff. There's not much to say. I, was, I, I actually moved to Evoker when I went, what was it, kindergarten, so five. And then i got a shocking memory, to be honest. I don't remember anything. on the San Remo chronic, this guy. <laughs> what, what do you guys remember of Wade as a young fella? What, what, did he stick out? Did, did you guys see that it was coming? Like where he was going actually, and what he was going to do? I actually remember his surfing really standing out. And my, my gut feeling was like he had every bit of talent to make it from a surfing ability. And it was like, it was only a matter of if he could step out of, you know, in the, the kind of small community guy of, like, hanging around a voker and getting out and surfing because it was... The surfing ability was never a doubt in my mind. It was... Um, Ace and I actually spoke about it a lot. We're like, fuck, like, Wade's so good. Like, 
love to see him get to the reefs and then get to chasing swells around. And it was like, you know, and as a as a Central Coast surfer, you're always passionate about the the next guy to make it. And it was um, yeah. And and now watching where he is is insane. It's like, you know, it's he turns up for a heat and you're like, that's that's the mongrel that you'd hate to surf against. And it's like, it's incredible. Mate, the thing that blows my mind, and Smithy too, we were talking about this backstage. Like, you did it on your own terms. You did it largely by yourself. You know, you didn't have, like, flashy fucking support. You didn't have, like, a ton of money. How did you just knuckle down and get it done? I didn't want to do anything else. I remember, I remember one day very clearly, my brother's in the, in the crowd... And I swear to God, he made me dig about 46 fucking holes on the job site. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. It was bullshit. <laughs> it is bullshit. <laughs> Fuck the job site. Fuck digging holes. <laughs> no one wants to be doing that shit. But yet we do it. And we do it six days a week for 40 years of our life to service some debt. Put up by some fucking banker swine. It's fucked. Mate. <laughs> Carry on. You qualified. You got on there. Was it hard, the QS, for you? I mean, we know how hard it was for Micro. Was it hard for you? It had its ups and downs, for sure. But it was a good time. Um, you're leaving it hanging, Ace. Come on, mate. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's tough, but, um, yeah, like the boys said, it's a good time, and I've, I've tried to keep the good times rolling and carry that in there. Uh... I don't know, we're all surfers and we all love going places and drinking beer and meeting new people and surfing waves and just doing the good stuff. It's just all the he good stuff. He loves the beer, the evoker, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he was baptised in the it. Gosford grub. But that, that's what I'm saying. I, I honestly believe the key to your success is just what you said. Like, you're not starting the year going, righto, what are my strategies? What am I going to do? How am I going to beat this person? How am I going to beat that person? It just seems like you're going... Fuck, snapper, righto. Yeah, they've got a good pub up there and a fucking pretty sick schnitty. <laughs> like, like, how much of pro surfing sort of creates noise in your head? Or do you just put on your singlet, get out there and fucking rip it? Mate, there's not much going up here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't want to play it down. I'm not saying you're not thinking about it. But you really do look like you're having a good time on tour, whereas some people, it feels like the head noise is too much. Definitely. I look at people going, mate, what are you doing? You're having a shit time. And I know they are, because you, you can see they're having a good time at some times, but there's, there's bad times too. And you're just like, we're, we're, we're living a good life. We're living a sweet, sweet life. And we just got to keep that sweet life rolling. That's why he's the evoker Jesus, everybody. Said like a true spirit man, call Lord Cone thing, tube pig degenerate hell man. Where's the pulpit? I am going to the church of fucking Wade he's next Sunday. Act- he's an actual Jesus. <laughs> but the, um, that Cafe de Paris story revved me up a little bit. When we're chugging, back, chugging down litres of piss and it's kind of the story everywhere we go. <laughs> However, I go with the boys. <laughs> Give us one of your most flamboyant Café de Paris anecdotes, Wade. Oh, they all kind of end the same way. I just... <laughs> <laughs> In a pile of your own spew. Well said. 
What's your plan when you go into a year, mate? Like, talk about, you know, it's awesome to see that you finally got some serious uh, support with Rusty. Um, what's it look like when you start your year? You know, are you like going, all right, top five, want to win this comp, want to win that comp? Are we talking like Jan 1 or like March 1st, March 25th? Like oh, I don't know what it's like inside your head, mate. You tell me. <laughs> I told you, there's not much going on up here. <laughs> there's not much going on except I really don't like losing. So, uh, and, I, and I, just, I just want to do what I can do to keep the dream alive and not have to dig 46 fucking holes a day. <laughs> well, I love this guy. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Who's got a question, Swellians? Jughead's gonna come round. Oh, this man over here. Here you go, Jug. Here you go, brother. Oi. Excuse me up again. Nah, 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 don't even say that. Alright, who's got a question? Go, Jug. Go on, Jughead. Why didn't you put Wade on first? (laughs) No comment. No comment. Great question. Couldn't answer it. Have a cone piece. Um, This is for Micro, and I just want him to break down... Uh, that heat with Gabby and the aftermath of all that sort of shit, like the whole of Brazil going against you. Great question. You hate Brazil. Nah, that that whole situation was one of the best experiences of my life. It was. <laughs> nah, it was it was seriously. So my my heat. I was obviously not expected to win. I went out there and I had a full swing. And Gabby, I personally reckon he's, he gets rattled when it's not going his way and when you kind of get him frazzled. And and, um, and and I knew that when I was going out. I was like, I'm I'm not I'm not silly. I knew solid corner. I say. What did you say? <laughs> what was that? Yeah, nah, he's... But anyway, he's... We went out there, we went... We had a crack and... To be honest, he's... He's a freaking competitor. And we can't deny that. Like, we... You know, and I personally... Now, when I look back and I think... We're actually the same person in the way that we compete in the heat. And <laughs> Honestly, though, like... The, one of the things you hear the most as an Aussie surfer, I think, is that old school prejudice maybe against Brazilian surfers. And Gabby is such a fucking top bloke, but he goes out in the water and he's micro on steroids. Like, he'll do anything to win. And deep down, I think Aussies, we, like, really respect that. And that heat, I think, was just the meeting of two, like, ultra competitors. And I don't yeah, know. I, I think, yeah, you... you kind of beat me to the point that the fact that he is he is me on Roy's but really fucking good at what he does and and, and I have, have one you got way, proof? I have, you got any proof? I have one way to win and it was to go swinging at him and it was and anyway I found myself at the end of the heat and we had that scenario and and I 
couldn't have loved it anymore. And we got we got to the beach, like got to the end of the heat, and the whole thing went down. And he started flipping out and saying whatever he was saying, and I told him to fuck off. And and <laughs> and nah, but nah, nah, but I gen- I genuinely came in thinking that was the funnest heat of my life. Like I I. But not because I beat Gabriel, and it's not because we had a hassle, it's not because we, I don't know, I just like, that's, if you're going to play a sport that's competitive, it's, you want to go out there and it's like if you play footy, you want to go out there and you want to run at someone, you want to run flat stick, it's like, it's why you compete. It's not to there to fucking tickle around each other and kind of tell how much you love each other, it's like, it's like Ace at the start of the night, he's like the nicest bloke you'll ever meet, but... He's not there to fuck around. He's there to go out and have a have a swing. So, Fucking oath. Well said, Hamad. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious <laughs> to know. But no, the the end of the story though. It is like go North Shelley board riders. Gabby, That's what you wanted to say, isn't it? Isn't it? North Ga- Shelley. Ga- Gabby is just a he's a Brazilian version of like someone that we'd all admire if if. I, if Wilco had corn rolls, we'd fucking love him. And Gabby has corn rolls or rose or whatever the fuck they're called. But we think it's weird. It's that's the way it is. It's like he's actually just a competitive bastard that we we should appreciate. He's actually a, like I stay in the Rip Curl house every year in Hawaii with him, and he's actually a really good bloke. Like he, I really get along with him and. When's and the Ain't That Swell Brazil fucking... Oh, it's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. Let's Tell us what we all want to know, Marco. Did he unfollow you on Instagram? I actually have no idea. He's got that many followers. He probably doesn't give a shit about my... And I'm not going to root him, so he probably doesn't care about my following. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't want a piece of the tripod, eh? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It might hurt if Wait. the uh, tripod touched him. Just before we go to the next question, what do you do when you uh, rock up to the beach or, you know, you've got, got through a heat and you go, oh, great, Medina next heat? What's your mindset? Uh, I actually don't look at all who I got in my heat. I don't know until I'm, I'm paddling out. Never look. Well, what happens when you paddle over the wave and you go, oh, fucking Medina, okay. What, what do you do? What do you Run think? Run at him. Run at him. Yeah. <laughs> I just dream about clocking him one. <laughs> Perfecting the Gosford elbow. <laughs> let's, re- let's rewind too to that, uh, that contest in Brazil where you got, you got runner-up to Philippe Toledo. And, um, you know, these guys, Toledo, Medina, these guys travel with big entourages and there's the fucking Gosford grug with his backpack on and a couple of surfboards and his headphones on, psyching up, eating meat pie after meat pie, training scooters, and he goes out there and gets the runner-up. But it was still pretty good. But talk to us about that event and just like, you know, you're a guy who's done it off his own back. You know what I mean? That must be so much more satisfying to... I don't know, you'd be carrying your own boards instead of some fucking one-eyed midget, you know, like some minion. I like it, man. I like doing my thing. When people get in my way, it kind of makes me feel weird, so I just like doing my own thing, and it feels like Gabby needs extra hands to help him get through, so... I don't know, it's just I like doing my thing, and all those guys have their little team, but it's just how it is. He needs extra hands just to keep up with the regrowth of Vaughn. It's chronic. I know. Oh, down the back here, mate. Gosford Grub. 
From your experience on tour so far, who would you love to give the Gosford handshake to most? <laughs> the Gosford handshake, for those uh, listening on the podcast in a few weeks' time, is a Spanish bow to the schnoz, an elbow, right to the bugle. That's a difficult question, mate. I've you wanted to do it. Say names. <laughs> say yes or no. There's been a few times I've wanted to throw the old elbow high, but at the end of the day, there's there's going to be there's going to be. <laughs> It's ice, isn't it? It's ice. <laughs> nah, it's not ice. It's not ice. I actually haven't served a heat against ice before, I don't think. Um, there, there's been a few moments, but the, the elbow was high against Gabby, that's for sure. Huxley is the man from North Avoca. He's not from Avoca Heights. Or Juggy. I oh, want a question for you. Yeah. These boys up on the panel. Who's your favourite? And why? <laughs> can, can I just interject and just say my very first fiberglass surfboard was from the man asking the question. It was a mad dog, 5'7", with full deck yes. from Goanna Surf at Avoca. Where's my return? And also, I hey also, I I did an <laughs> interview. I did an interview in Waves or Surfing World or Tracks or something, and I got. Who asked, asked my, you the question? My my three favourite surfers, and he was one of them. They cut me off. Hey. You're closing out the show, Jug. It's the ultimate honour. What have you got to say for yourself? Finish it off with a bang. Shut up, all of you. Be kidding you. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. 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 Oh, you gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. 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 You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me. You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you fucking 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 kidding me?